0: Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, T-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today we get to welcome Timber Sports athlete, and lumberjack podcaster, Turbo Tom Lancaster to the show. Uh, Tom, great to have you on here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Uh,
0: I know. As I kind of before we hit record, I was telling you about why I want to reach out. But I remember as a kid, um, when my parents they'd go to bed, and I'd, after Saturday night Live was over, I'd keep staying up, TV watching stupid B movies or as I But as I got older, uh, I transitioned to like watching ESPN Two Late Night, which was Pete Weber screaming at kids bowling or Michelle Lee the Black Widow pool. But it was it was more it was more of the strongman competitions uh, or the lumberjack sports, uh, where I was just enthralled by that. These are, when you look at athletes, people always like the top five, right? Football, baseball, soccer, I mean, whatever. And for me, I love the obscurity of some of these athletes and men and women that do stuff like you do that. Sure. It's not mainstream baseball or shooting a hoop, but these people are top, top fitness people. And, uh, to get to talk to you today about it's actually pretty
1: surreal for me. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's uh, it used to be televised a a lot more um, back in the day. Um, But yeah, that's when I talk to people that are asking them if they've ever seen it before. That's usually what they say. You know, like late night ESPN two or whatever back in the day. Yeah. um, The Great Outdoor Games was a big competition that used to be aired a lot and uh and then of course the steel series which is the only one that's still televised but um but yeah even the the lumberjack world championships in my hometown of hayward way back in the day i mean was on like abc worldwide of sports back in the 80s and stuff Uh, and uh unfortunately that's not that's not aired on television anymore but uh hopefully it comes back around it's uh
0: it's all things too like when we go to like the county fairs and stuff, it was either yep. like the Highland game type stuff where we see like people throw axes or throw beer kegs that would look like a mile into the air. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it was always, they always drew the biggest crowds. And it's like, I'm always fascinated because I think people are amazed that a human being can spin really fast on a log in the water or speed climb up a telephone pole that seems like a never end or yeah. saw that quickly. It's just, I don't know. Like it's a, for me, it's, Especially after the pandemic, it's like all this other bullshit that went on TV or social media. It's like I'm glad that I was able to, when I spent time on TikTok, to find someone like you. And I think the two people I, I follow or look at the most are both either shirtless dudes with axes or someone like you is competing. And it's like there's just something cool to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Um it's a it's definitely a unique sport. And uh, when people finally get to see it in person, um, they always really enjoy it. Um, you mentioned um, seeing them at like fairs and carnival, you know, festivals like that. Um I spent a good portion of my career just working for a, a traveling lumberjack show and we would we would travel to state fairs and conventions and stuff like that and uh yeah, always grows uh draws a big crowd and you know people always enjoy themselves for sure.
0: You mentioned steel, uh the steel series when you travel with them, but for when it comes to, like sponsorships, is that part of the problem that it's tough for someone outside of, say, a chainsaw company or a mechanic company to sponsor you. Like, how come Red Bull isn't involved or like other companies like that that seem like guys that do or lumberjacks? Why, why isn't Slim Jim involved? Like, it just seems for me like it seems endless ways for marketability for people that not many people could do what you do.
1: Yeah. So, um, for one, it's just a very unknown um, sport. Um, unfortunately, I mean, there's a lot of people that 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 have heard of it or m- maybe seen it once or twice, but they still don't really know what it's about. Um, now, that being said, there is um, Red Bull is sponsoring one athlete. and He's one of the best in the world. And he has been for many years. But I guess that's kind of where we're at. Um, I, I will say even before I started on my social media stuff, um, that there's only a few guys that are really dominating the sport throughout the world, maybe a handful of guys that are really making a living as a professional athlete. Um, Just because there's not a whole lot of money in it, unless you are winning. So it's hard to, um, it's kind of hard to explain, but if you're not one of those top athletes, it's hard to dedicate your whole life to the sport. The money's just not there. Um, Even for me as a professional athlete, when I compete, it's hard for me to, to make good money in the sport as a speed climber. There's just, there's only like five speed climbing competitions. So just as a speed climber, that's kind of out of the questions to really make a living as a professional athlete, you got to dominate in the chopping and sawing events, which is where most of the big money is. Um And it just takes a long time to get to that point. Um, But yeah, so there's a couple athletes that do well and Red Bull has been sponsoring this one athlete for, for quite a few years now. Um, But but yeah, I agree. There's a there's a endless marketability for this sport and I, and I've kind of starting to claw my way into that world and figure out how to I've I've been on the mission to figure out how to make money as a timber sport athlete. Out excuse me. Oh sorry. Uh, outside of um uh, working for a lumberjack show, which I can explain a little further if right. you need me to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: It's it's To to your point, though, with social media like TikTok, I found your page. and I was blown away because it's cool how you're able to not only showcase what exactly each event is, but like your ups and downs, the good days, the bad days. And I think it's that's something there. It's super relatable because I think it's like, how do you like do you feel it's on your shoulders to be one of these athletes in a what some would say very obscure sport? to not only do the physical aspect of it, but the mental games you have to play to help push your brand, whether it's individual or the actual sport itself?
1: Yeah. um, So, you know, I'm really the only one that's... Me and one other guy I've really the only ones that have pushed the social media, so it's kind of all new to us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, for me it started out just getting exposure for the sport. And now it's just kind of trying to explain to people in detail what it takes to be a top athlete. I think for me getting that point across to people that it's more than just a, you know, someone in their backyard splitting firewood. A lot of people think they're like, Oh, I've been, yeah, I I grew up doing that. Like, well, it's a little different (laughs) when you're competing professionally. So I think for me, that's a big part of it is is explaining and really getting it through to people what it takes to be a, a top athlete in the sport or even, even a top 24 athlete in the nation, not even in the world, just to be ranked top 24 in America, and I, um, which I can it's which is what you had to do to be part of the Steel Timber Sports series. So that's kind of like an elite group. It's the top 24 in the nation right now. And even to do that, there's not only a lot of money, a lot of time, the mental game, like you said, but uh yeah, it's it's just a lot to, and there's a lot of events, you know, it's not just like that's the thing about the sport too, is you're not just training kind of one aspect of it you gotta if you want to be dominant in the sport you gotta train for each event and make time to get yourself ready physically but also do the event training for the technique of, of each event each individual event so it's a lot
0: when did this hobby become something that you do now like at what point were you kind of like holy shit like this could be something i could do good at and take over the take over the country and stuff
1: so um I got my start in Hayward Wisconsin where I went to uh, high school and that is the home of the lumberjack world championships. So that's one event that happens one weekend every year. Been happening I think they're on like 65 years that oh, that's wow. been the home of the lumberjack world championships. And uh but during the summer months, obviously that's just one week in a year, but during the summer months at that same location, they there is a people that started a lumberjack show and they did Lumberjack shows every day of the summer, you know, Memorial Day to Labor Day, um, for the tourist in the area. And basically, what a lumberjack show is is a mock competition. So we sell tickets for an audience to come and watch the show. We put up a mock competition. We split the crowd into two pe- two sides. They cheer for their lumberjack or lumberjacks, and they they boo and heckle the other one, and we get the crowd rowdy and getting involved. And there's some other and we and then we'll go like head to head in like twelve different events. And there's also some some dialogue and some comedy and stuff like yes. that. So that's how that's how I got involved in it. and as like a summer gig. And they hire, well, depending on what show, there's p- multiple shows now throughout the country. But basically, like that one, they hired high school kids that were athletic. So I was like sixteen years old, and I got taught how to get my way through on a block. You know, I was trained to chop and saw and climb and log roll in a couple of weeks. And I was kind of thrown into a show. So it was pretty rough start. Um, but it wasn't for a professional competition. So I just kind of had to be good enough to perform in the show. Now from there with all the resources to train and all the events, a lot of people from there will transition into competing professionally for me and, and I and that's what exactly what I did. Um but for but again because it's so hard to make money just strictly competing, um I've made most of my living working for lumberjack shows around the country whether it's permanent show sites or or that mobile like a mobile operation um at fairs and fe- festivals and conventions. So that's kind of what got me hooked into the sport, that's what really how I fell in love with the sport and how I kind of decided that I'm going to be doing this for I'm going to be involved in this sport in some way shape or form for the rest of my life um but of course it did start to evolve into I want to be one of the best timber sport athletes in the world and now I'm kind of like I said clawing my way to the top as a speed climber I've kind of established myself as one of the best speed climbers I still have some goals I want to reach in that sport um if I can kind of get through some recovery from surgery I just had um but as the chopper and Sawyer, um, there's just a a lot of equipment that needs to be acquired, a lot of time traveling, competing, and I'm just kind of clawing my way up to up that ladder at at the moment, really. So
0: as it comes to the specific events, I kind of want to talk about a bunch, a couple of them. But when it comes to your gear, is all how, how is a saw or a uh, axe? How were they picked? Is it something that's all, everyone has the same equipment or does it have to, it can be a different company, but the same type of thickness or weight? Like, how does that all work?
1: So, um, basically, there's not really any regulations um, in the chopping events because there's not like an advantage of having a bigger, heavier axe. If you can swing it, good for you, but I mean even recently i mean i've kind of discovered that i don't need the biggest axe honestly i might be able to chop more efficiently with a smaller axe you know it's like so it's like the only so where the advantages come is acquiring that equipment because each axe is like five six hundred dollars and uh i mean you think you would go there with one or two axes i mean but the best in the world are showing up with two dozen axes wow and and not only that but they're training with axes that most people would think are competition axes. They're phenomenal. You know what I mean? So they're. And so I think that's what kind of where I struggled where, and, and because as a speed climber, you get like three, 400 bucks into some equipment and you can be a, you got your speed climbing equipment forever <laughs> and it lasts right. for years. <laughs> um, But starting off young, I didn't, wasn't really in the mindset of competing professionally just because it was so overwhelming. So I kind of just, honestly, the, first maybe even 10 years of my career i didn't take the care of my axes very seriously and stuff like that so i'm kind of i've noticed in the last five years now that i've really tried to you know like i said gain rank in the chopping and sawing world that that's where people are getting gaining advantages is is knowing their equipment for one acquiring it putting money into the sport having some of the you know having the best cutting axes the best cutting single buck saws um the best hot saws, all that stuff to, uh, is really going to kind of make that separation between the top athletes and, and not. And so when you have not only, you know, a few axes that are good enough to train with, but then, you know, I got a half a dozen good axes now that I only save for competition or I'll maybe swing them in if I have some really good wood, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of, I'm still waiting on, I'm finally getting my first competition single buck saw. I had another one a while back, but it's a training saw now. So like I finally have a legit single buck saw. So for a lot of guys, we actually end up borrowing equipment at first. Cause it's just like, for one, it's like the single buck saws, a couple thousand dollars. Oh, wow. And not only that, but I've, I ordered mine last year. So sometimes even when you are ready to make that big commitment, you're still going to wait. I mean, Sometimes it's been a couple of years people have waited for saws. So then you're kind of, so you got to borrow equipment and stuff like that. So that's the equipment is um, knowing your equipment and for one, getting the equipment and knowing it and then knowing how to maintain it. And then, you know, having relationships with people. Right. That will potentially maybe fix or sharpen your saw in right. timely matter. Cause some of the, there's not that many guys that do it. So sometimes these guys get overwhelmed with orders. And who's, you know, it'd be it's nice if you're closer with those people. You might get up the you might get pushed up the list. Um so yeah, so as far as regulation and, and stuff like that in competitions, I don't think I don't think there's a I don't think there's any regulation in the axes. I mean, I'm trying to th- trying to think if there's like a real simple one, but basically no. Um, because there, you know, as far as length of handle there shouldn't be because there's no advantage of having a longer handle or whatever a right. handle, um, you know, for the ax throwing event. That's not really a, a, that's not a steel series event, but you know, there's a limit on that. You can only have your ax handle a certain length, but, but for chopping, no. Um, I love
0: that it comes off as very barbaric. And like when you watch the videos of the men and women that do this, it's just like, it's so pure. The fact that it's just going to come down to the individual what mm-hmm. handle works good in his hand or the weight and it's just i love that there's you look at some of these other sports it's like i mean i, I like do they even ped test are you like do they check any of that stuff in lumberjack timber sports
1: like drug testing like yeah versus, no right like,
0: so it's like i kind of like the fact that it's just this is the wild west and I, I love the how awesome that is where it's like literally warriors just throwing stuff and cutting stuff up
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny because it's been around for like a 100 years but like I feel like there's so much more room for growth. Like it kind of, it kind of peaked at one point and kind of just maintained that. And now, like honestly, I feel like someone that can be the kind of movement to see to take it to the next level and get more money involved and get have more access to the sport. You know, it's like where, where, like where do you? For me, I know, but like for you, like where would you go to train for this? You wouldn't even.
0: I mean, the only places I go to is if you get a pitcher of beer and you throw axes like those axe places. But to yeah, your point, yeah. there, that's one step closer where it's like make not making this mainstream, but it's like, hey, I get to the number of times where I'm a day off in town with a client or something. Like, what do you want to do? Go to the movies or go bowling? Let's go throw axes and we'll spend five hours there laughing and the nice. instructors trying to teach you how to throw it and stuff, and I've had friends that are professional knife throwers and stuff like that, top of the line. And it's just like I find super joy in this because I'm not good at it per se, but I love learning about the intricacies of how to throw an axe or how to grip yeah. it and. Yeah. Like, if I, if you like for to bring get your sport out there, like that seems like a great avenue just to be like tour those places. Or I know there's a chain I can't think of the name of it that does these in like the Midwest, there's like seven or eight of them, mm. but it's like that seems like a cool way to be like, oh, we're bringing in Turbo Tom to celebrity guest judge some axe throwing. it's like, it's sure, sure. I'm, I'm glad that stuff is out there, but you're like doing back to what we said before, how do we get this on at 8 p.m.? Like, you have people doing uh like these puzzle games or like these weird, like human origami things on ABC at eight o'clock on a Thursday. Why can't we watch men and women cut wood or ax throw or stuff like that, where it's like, it'd be actually a lot more fun.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, like I said, people love it. So, um and clearly like even just a lot of my content is just posting competition videos from a good angle. Like from the, if you get a good camera angle of some of this stuff, it's sometimes it's just so rarely seen. People are captivated by it. So it's like, I think that's part of it in my opinion like i i've done well getting videos to go viral and i think it has a lot to do with the camera angle and like if you watch comp sometimes i feel like the competitions that we are aired on tv it's hard for me to watch them yes because they'll sit there and they'll change angles or they're kind of they might be on the back side of the guy and they're not the like, axe. they can't even see the ass going into the wood and i'm like so sometimes i I'd, I'd like to kind of be able to help out in that way where i can say hey this is what's worked for for me and i've tried different you know i've got to with tiktok you kind of can just throw anything up there so yeah. i've tried well it seems
0: like you could throw a gopro like as i know some of the videos when you do like the speed climbing and i want to talk about that because it looks to your point the way it's filmed or the way i see it it looks super gnarly it's like how high is this person climbing yeah but it looks it brings almost like a, a hyper awareness to a sport or something like that Like you're what you do with those speed climbs because it's like this is surreal. Like I can climb a tree, but I can't climb a telephone pole like that. That's just awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where you get people re- recognizing what it, what's really going on, because, uh, like, like yeah, if, if if it's from the wrong angle, people are like, oh, he's just swinging an axe. Yeah. But if you see it from the right angle with the right quality, and you're seeing the precision that's going in. Right. While like,
0: standing on another piece of wood attached, stuck into
1: the tree as you're climbing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like then, <laughs> then you're going, okay. Like I think that will help gain the exposure. And then for me, the sport, like I said, just growing the sport, I think for in general is to get more money in the sport for, for athletes that aren't in the top 10. I mean, there's, the the top 10 athletes have some opportunities to win money. They can travel and, and do well. Um, there's just like below that, there's just like next to none. I mean, I, even me, like I'll travel 40 good examples. Recently, I, I, last summer I traveled like 40 hours round trip driving to a competition. I won like 150 bucks. Wow. There's no, there was no climbing involved in that. It's just chopping and sawing, but like, that's, and that's me. Like, I'm not saying like, I'm great, but I'm saying like, I'm someone that's recognized as someone that makes this my life. Obviously I find other ways to make money in the sport while doing lumberjack, working for lumberjack shows and stuff. But so it's like, I think that's where there needs to just be more incentive for those like kind of middle ranked athletes. And then also more access to the sport, even speed climbing. Like there's nowhere to train for speed climbing. You could, if you wanted to try it out the way we do it, you'd have to come to one of the lumberjack show sites or one of the competition sites and have someone meet you there and you know what i mean like right. there's no place where you can just go and train so like i'm trying to think of ideas of where where can you let people really try this sport the chopping is a little tougher because it's so dangerous i mean the speed climbing is too but i can see ways around making that safe but and there's we, we make chopping as safe as we can we have guards for our feet and our legs and stuff but i still think it's you're just people are still terrified because you're swinging an axe near your feet for like at least for the underhand chop People kind of get freaked out by that, so I think the chopping is a little hard to just introduce to anybody. But I think getting people close to it, closer right. to the sport in some way, shape, or form, would be would be best. Is
0: when the uh, in the middle of the pandemic first started, like we we're all gyms are closed and all that stuff. I actually reached out to a company called ChopFit, which is like the the axe. It's got a different weight to it. Uh, it's all the workouts are all very calisthenic based, whether it's squats or swings and overheads and how you grip it and stuff, which obviously you're familiar with. But the reason I did it is because I've always loved I love yard work and I've always loved splitting the wood for the firewood or the a bonfire or yeah. just chopping trees down and picking them up and reenacting scenes from Commando. Like I've always loved the idea of using the yard as like your kind of your workout, right? And so yeah. I was drawn to it just because it's like it's a safe way to get the fundamentals down of swinging a proper ax and doing it while doing it in a safe environment, as opposed yeah. to me cutting yeah. my chins and stuff. So again, that's another thing where it's like to see that out there and mainstream. And I know UFC champions use the chop fit as a training tool too. So it's, again, I just, I, I wish there was more being done. I think the, as you put more content out and keep being who you are, yeah. eventually the right person is going to see that, whether it's a producer or someone would be like, hold on, there's something here. Because even yeah. the reality TV shows like Axe uh, I think that's what it's called. I'm just fascinated by it. Cause it's like, this is pure drama of uh, literally a tree could fall and kill, or yeah. it's just the idea of being a lumberjack early roots of like Paul Bunyan, like all these tall tales. It's like, there is something really pure about it. I think there is drama in that.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, I've, yeah, I mean, if you would have followed me around, yeah, for the last, I've been doing it, this is going to be my 19th season being involved in the sport. I mean, there's definitely been some trauma, <laughs> definitely a lot of injuries. Uh, I've seen some gnarly stuff for sure. And just, I mean, to get into the mind of a, a you know, a competitor shooting for a world title right, at the world championships or steel, and just what it takes. I mean, it's a, it's a lot. I mean, we're, there's, to be the top in the be the top athletes in this sport you, you've got to be obsessed and you got to dedicate a lot of time and a lot of money
0: you mentioned uh, recovering from an injury um but when it comes to the competitions like and i know you've you've uh recently posted about these new mushrooms uh you take for recovery and stuff but when it comes to like that type of stuff do you like do you like ice baths cold water treatment like how do you recover from a competition um in terms of like you're not just drinking water and Gatorade. Like obviously you're sore. You have to. Your muscle groups are all effed up after competition. So well, how do you kind of recover yourself to get ready for training the next time?
1: You know, when I gotten when I gotten in, involved in it um, with lumberjack shows. You know, we the re- recovery wasn't taken very seriously. It was yeah, normally, of course. I
0: mean, why? It why normally would it?
1: light light beer? Yeah. Um, About <laughs> doing
0: a slim gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would say in the last, like I said, five or so years, I'm 30, going to be 34. So I started taking, you know, my recovery and stuff a little more seriously. I I personally don't do ice baths and stuff like that right now. I think it would be great. I've looked into some stuff about getting a good ice bath. I think it would be beneficial. I know there's good benefits to all that. Um, So I've thought about trying to arrange that in the future because I have had some injuries with my ankles and stuff. I just had surgery to remove some bone spurs back in January. So I'm still kind of recovering from that. Um, For me, I, I think the mobility of it, the, you know, especially we're just, I think, especially it depends on what event too. Sometimes that's kind of drastically different. Like as a speed climber, I think all the joints are there. That sport is very hard on all your joints, you know, ankles, knees, your, your hips, the, your, my hips like I mean, like i can feel them grinding you know if i'm <laughs> if i'm not on top of it i and i go to kind of test what i can do i can i'm tight so it's like i think taking care of your joints and your mobility um is is crucial to longevity in the sport
0: in terms of like the injuries and stuff especially the speed club you talk about the pads like the saw yes yeah, so, yeah so i guess i was just
1: getting to the point where like you know if you lose control and fail to the bottom of the pole back in the day you know it was pretty bad you know i've and then even when they started making pads they weren't like perfect and people were you know i I know a couple people that broke their backs um i didn't want i've never seen it happen but i know a couple people have broken their backs from just hard falls you know because it's a race back to the pad right so you know when people get to that point where they're racing for a world title or trying to get into the finals they kind of let it loose coming down and if they lose control and they don't land right; they're 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 usually in trouble. Now, it depends on where you compete, but like at the World Championships, when we're doing a sixty and ninety, the pads are pretty good. So, now, in, in my opinion, if the pads are decent, most your injury, most of your bad injuries now are going to happen on the pole before you hit the pad. Um, with like you said, a, a gaff getting put into the tree when you weren't. When you weren't prepared for it. So basically like we use our basically we use our rope to like control ourselves and like take the kind of weight off the rest of our body and like use it as like a break. And uh when we're coming in with our gaps, if we're doing it right, they should just kind of barely click the tree and roll out. And you should just be real loose with it. You're not trying to like jam it back into the tree. You're just trying to like brush right. the tree for a legal climb. So you're trying to just stay in control. And then like <clears throat> even if like so we could we have to put our a gaff in each section on the way down we have to legally so to make it a legal climb so sometimes you see us like turn to our side because we lose control which is kind of a safe way if you're losing control because you kind of eliminate your legs and you can kind of yeah. just lean on your rope but you still got to put gaffs in to make a legal climb so you'll see us putting gaffs in like underneath our leg you know like kind of sitting sideways so we make it a legal climb so a lot of injuries happen as if like you get into a bad rope position. Like if you get hung up or you slip and and you, you don't have control of your rope and your rope gets low. So then, and then all of a sudden your gas come back to the tree. Like that's how I injured my ankles. I I had some equipment failure the first time and I was kind of had to walk down the pole and then I went to go just jump to the pad. But I kind of just had my rope lazily in front of me and it, the gaff went into the tree. I was trying to hit the pad, but my gaff, my leg was too close to the pole, and the gaff went into the tree. And like, and just oh sorry, and just cranked my ankle over. And another time, I was in a sixty foot race, and I went, I hit the top of the line, top line, and I went to adjust my rope, and it came out of one of my hands. Then I was kind of like smashed against the tree coming down, and it was hitting my gaffs pretty hard on the way down. And that's when I fractured my other ankle but yeah so that's that's when you're not ready or if you're if you're not if you're losing control on the way down and those gaps come back to the trees when you're in trouble
0: how do you say this is a big world championship and you got a bunch of stuff going on like what's can you kind of talk me through what your day is when you wake up that morning through the first event like how do you kind of get ready for this
1: So, yeah, basically you kind of, you start off, every depending on what competition, what time, you know, they they all happen differently. But uh, basically you get there with enough time to see, yeah, you go and you see what heat you're in, what stand you're on or what pole you're on. And then you start prepping your equipment, you know, like I'll have all my climbing equipment, my rope, my gear all out sitting next to where I next to the climbing area, have that ready to go. You know, a lot of times we soak our ropes in water to stiffen them up. So I kind of make sure that's prepped in the way I want it. And then I would, as it gets closer to the event for climbing, I'll get my rope around the tree or, or if I'm in that, not in that heat, I'll at least kind of get it set up to where I want my, maybe if I have some grip tape or something on the rope. And then I, we put tape on the backside of a rope. We actually put electrical tape backwards. Okay. So the sticky sides out, so it helps grip on the way up and then it burns off on the way down. So anyway, so I just, there's a lot of prep in that, prep for the climbing equipment already. If you're log-growing, you got your your log rolling corks and stuff out. And then for chopping, there's a lot more prep as far as finding which block is yours or the block draw. You have to be there usually at a certain time to get your block. And then you, then you go and grab an open stand and you set it out and you start drawing your lines you have to put nails in slab nails so that you can't slab yep. the whole block off, you know, it. you have, yeah. So that that's part of it. That's part of the rules too. So you kind of get your lines drawn, you get it all set up. And if you're not in that first heat, then you take your block off and kind of set it off to the side. And you'd same thing for the underhand. You got to set, you got to cut your footholds, which are the flat spots, the one that we stand on top of the log and chop between our feet. You got to get those footholds set and get that kind of ready springboard when we're doing the springboard poles you're marking out your pockets getting those set if your pole is ready to go if sometimes you have to kind of wait if you're if you're not if there's multiple heats and your tree's not even up that you kind of have to leave that alone until it's your poles ready and then you can go mark your your pockets depending on what heat you're in and uh then you're kind of then you're testing axes if you can um or sharpening axes um you're getting your handle on your your single buck saw kind of getting that prepped there's not any prep for the single buck really um as far as like the block they kind of just have that set when you you go and kind of set it up right before the event but get your handle on there get that ready get it out of the box and stuff you normally have some saw you know saw and corks you're going to have ready then you get if you're running a hot saw you got to get your hot saw tuned up Get your get your get your bar and your chain on there, and get that all set, and maybe even warm it up in the morning, and make sure everything's running right. Because most of the time, those things don't run right. Um. So yeah, and then just kind of having your own little schedule there, and going, okay, I'm doing starting with standing, but you know, this is my this is my schedule for the day. Everyone kind of has their own schedule, you know, because you're drawing your different heats and you signed up for different events, and but you're kind of like, okay, all my all my equipment is ready for that and and it's when i'm done with standing block i'm gonna go over here and i'm gonna get ready to get my climbing equipment on and stuff like yeah so you're just kind of trying to get real organized and it the the better you get and the farther you advance in the sport the the easier that becomes but the the more prepared you are like there's still competitions where i'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off yeah of course (laughs) Yeah, and it's when it
0: comes to the actual training for a competition. Like, how do you decide is one day speed climbing, one day is axe work, one's day is whatever? Like, how do you kind of break that up? Because it seems like some of these competitions, there's so much going on that you really can't afford to not train a certain aspect each week, correct?
1: Yeah, so I think it would be better if you were. I've thought about trying to do something like that. Where, like, okay, this week I'm single bucket. I haven't ever really had a perfect schedule of any of that um a lot of times it's for me it's like what is my weakness and I'm going to try to work on that gotcha you know I think there's times where I'm oh I over but so it's like I mean you always want to keep cutting and keep training but sometimes it's like if I'm cutting good standing blocks right now but my underhands are crap I should start cutting underhands and start focusing on that and kind of let my standing block be I've got some muscle memory there I'm good leave it alone for a little bit and so, move, it's you know, move, definitely start focusing stuff. on what you're doing wrong in these other events and try right. to break both bad habits.
0: So, when it comes to like the grip stuff or like swinging something or cutting something, it seems like that is a perishable skill if you don't maintain some level of practice with that, correct?
1: Yeah, but I don't I think it comes naturally with what you're doing. Uh, I've noticed like I have, you know, I've got some pain in my hands from all it. So, I've recently. Kind of like I said, in the last few years, just paying attention to recovery in general, I've recently kind of wanted to try to get some grip strength stuff, strengtheners, because I think it, so yeah, you know what you're, I mean, you're absolutely right with all this stuff. Like, there could be so much more time into it, right? But I think it comes down to like, again, how much am I getting back from this for? So like, if, if there was more money into it, I think all of us athletes would, would give more time to all of that right so sometimes right. it's i think it i think that has a factor in it where it's like i could spend all day in recovery right. but it's i like, gotta but i gotta work my normal job right like i'm like so it's like that's what it comes down and to. that's but what yeah, i so love it could be a lot more recovery
0: i've uh i've had a bunch of the the championship uh like arm wrestlers on the podcast and like you guys they do these competitions but they either they either work in the oil wells or their ranch hands okay. or like they have the other jobs and it's like yeah. the interesting thing i find with that is you have to compete at such a high level in your sport, but you also have to pay your bills, do your job. You have yeah. issues at home. You have a sick yeah. kid or a wife, or your car broke down. It's like I'm always fascinated by the human spirit to kind of push through that stuff because you're not a, a uh, LeBron James where you're you're not, you're the number one in the world. Yeah. And you just yeah. focus. This is your sport. This is your hobby, your life, your career. You have all these other stuff you're juggling. it To still be the level you're at and keep pushing higher, like there is something really unique and awesome about that.
1: Yeah yeah thanks and like I'm not even really giving myself that much credit cuz I don't have any kids or nothing but right um but yeah I mean there's people with kids and I mean there's lawyers and yeah you know people with real real jobs in the sport And I mean I, and I I've, I've always juggled real jobs too I mean don't get me wrong I've done a lot of stuff but uh from from construction to well drilling to landscaping yeah. to yeah so I've done a bunch of stuff but but my goal recently has been to to figure out a way to make money uh, with the sport through social media um, and stuff like that. So I honestly, I, cause I want to give it more time. So I'm kind of stubborn. I don't have any kids, so I can kind of. Yeah, of course. Do that uh, where I want to, I want to make a living doing what I love. I, I, it kills me to get a normal job. And I do, I mean, I work part time right now, serving tables and stuff. And, um, but yeah, so I would, uh, I, I would say it's, 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 that's the kind of that's the goal is to to not have to juggle that so i can give it the more time right. but yeah like so th- for instance this summer i'm i'm actually leaving a couple of weeks i'm driving up to alaska to work for the great alaskan lumberjack show and um, i'll be doing shows there all summer long i'll have to fly back for some competitions i um, uh
0: i saw that in 2019 i was up there oh cool I was up there with a band we we did the alaskan state fair Oh, I've uh,
1: I've done that the last two years. The okay. Show yeah. There. I,
0: so we saw part of that that show up there. I, again, I'm just like,
1: this. Were looks... you, did you see it at the state fair? Then yes. Okay. So that's a that's like a three week event. Okay. Um, right. We're there yeah. every day of the. We're there every day okay. of the fair. And I was just like, and they I, I want to like... watch
0: this. Screw the show, through the concert, through this other crap. Yeah. I want to watch the like the, the, these like literally barbaric just. It was awesome. I love that.
1: Yeah, no, people love that Alaska State Fair. That We've actually, that show's been, going, been there for 20-something years um, at the State Fair. So that's a pretty cool, kind of a legendary show to do. But um, the one I'll be working for is in Ketchikan, Alaska, which is the southeast corner. And it's uh, on the inside passage where the cruise ships come through. Okay. We actually do shows for cruise ship passengers from, well, they start in April and they go through October. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, again, that was kind of leading back to like, that's how I'm making money in the sport. Um, cause I still not, you know, like, yeah, cause otherwise I would have to get a, a, a different job here. Um, so that's why I'm trying to not have to work those lumberjack shows full time in right. the future. If I can kind of put more focus on social media and stuff and then yeah, of course. just any traveling I do would be mainly for professional competitions and then I, I like filling in and doing a couple weeks here and there, but I'd yeah, rather not course. do a full season anymore. So
0: well it seems like the social media is the best way to get out there in the mainstream eyes. Cause the way I mean TikTok TikTok has a lot of faults obviously, but yeah. when you focus on like the really cool people, the 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 or the brands they're doing some really cool stuff. I never would have I thought watching this stuff on ESPN 2 at two in the morning was the last time I ever see it unless I go to YouTube to watch it. But now you go on TikTok is follow yeah. someone like you and be yeah. like, oh shit, people are actually still watching this live. People are still competing. Like I think there is something is really beneficial to social media. And I think you're following your stuff. is just a hoot.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate uh, you saying that. And I'm glad, you know, it kind of just started on during COVID just started posting some videos and they started going viral. So we, you know, another uh, friend of mine, Mark Boquin so just kept posting. And yeah, uh, it's been great to give the sport that exposure. Um, I mean, the numbers we have together, me and him, are just just astronomical. I mean, we've got hundreds of millions of views throughout our platforms, which is pretty cool.
0: Now, you've mentioned kind of like the rules and regulations, but is there like an international governing body that, like, how do you determine when a new season starts, if you even call it that, do other rules or change or like laws, bylaws that get adopted? Like how like who votes on certain stuff? Like you can't do this or this speed pole has to be this high or this short? Like how do you yeah. like who oversees that?
1: So it's like um there's like the American Lumberjack Association. Okay. And there's and that's like that's like West Coast comps, I think. So there's like different there's different uh associations that would like kind of that, that would host um certain competitions. So so basically, yeah, I guess it depends on where you go. Like if I go out west, we're gonna I guess I'm trying to, I'm just I'm trying to think exactly how it works. But like basically like there's a can log that's an association where you're gonna follow these rules if you're at these competitions. Gotcha. Or I'm in uh night it's called NYSA, like the New York Lumberjack Association, like this is a NYSLA competition. So you're gonna follow them. And they're all basically the same, but they're it's there's different stuff to it for sure. Um, different rules. Again, it is basically the same and it should be, that's sometimes the problem like for speed climbing, especially it is, there's only like five competitions, but it's like, it's different out West than it is. There's different rules. There's slightly different rules and stuff. And, uh, but, so then there's like, um, the steel timber sports series, which is, um, the biggest and basically most prestigious competition and the only televised uh, competition at the moment. Um, it used to be on ESPN, and now it's on CBS Sports. There's a there's an athlete advisory board, and and I think and then another um, group called the Granite State that that kind of help rank all the athletes. So we, for that, you know, that particular competition, we anybody can apply. I guess you know you you can fill out an application and turn it in. And you submit your times for the six events that are in the steel timber Sports series, which is the underhand chop, the standing block chop, the springboard chop, and then the single buck hot saw and stock saw. And for that, that's just like its own little competition. That's the steel timber Sports series rules is what you're going to follow if you're in that competition. And the same thing goes for like the lumberjack world championships. I don't think that's in an association that just has its own rules for the lumberjack world championships. So it just depends. They're basically the same, though. I mean, it's nothing, nothing too crazy should change.
0: Have other you than ever cl-
1: climbing is a little, little different,
0: right? And have you ever had to deal with like protesters who are like you're killing trees or you're part of the problem? Like, how do you like? Has that ever come up?
1: It comes up a lot on social media, but I oh, haven't had God. to. Uh, yeah, I haven't had to fight it, um, or I, I haven't seen any people. I've, no, never had competitions and stuff like that.
0: Um, Such a fascinating, it's because obviously, the big thing mm-hmm. for when it comes to like people. This is obviously probably more geared towards the actual lumberjacks or the foresting industry. But the idea that yeah, I'm sad when forests go down, but there's also a lot of benefits. Why some stuff gets cleared out for regrowth and stuff like that. And I think people hijack this idea or they attach themselves to people that are man. I'm just chopping a piece of wood that like like what do you I'm not here to cure the world. And it's just like, I hate when people hijack that stuff.
1: Yeah. So it's funny because a lot of the people that are involved in the sport have like forestry degrees. Right. went to so- school for forestry <laughs> and like know more and care more about the, the environment than the people that are complaining. And they, yeah, it's all, it's, it's all in, you know, how do I don't want to say it? Like, I mean, it, <clears throat> It's all managed, you know, appropriately. Or, or there are certain plantations that are grown for this too. You know, certain. You know, so it's like we're not just going out and just clear cutting forests for our competition. And it's it's all, it's all gathered in a sustainable way.
0: When it comes to international competitions, or not, that maybe I don't know if you've been overseas yet, but when other people in the world come together and do an event. When it comes to their training, obviously the wood's different there, right? Like, do they have to? Is it how do they? How does someone train? Say you were going to Germany for some crazy competition, and they have a specific wood there. How do you get access to that wood? And do you have to find something similar to train with that with your gear?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, basically, you it is the gear is drastically changed. Like, yeah, even when I go to Canada, the you know, in in the states, we we. We saw and chop a lot of soft wood like um, white pine yeah. and aspen, and then when we go out when in and, in and, um, British Columbia, Canada, when I competed oh, there, yeah. their their saw wood was dug fir, which is a hardwood. So I wouldn't even I wouldn't even use my same saw. So speaking of like how expensive the sport is, like <laughs> the spot, the saw I spent two thousand twenty five hundred dollars on, I can't use it at that competition because it's not filed it would ruin that saw basically. So yeah, for one, it's like, there's different ways to train. I mean, there we I have like a trainer saw that I would probably put through anything. I'm not going to run it through anything horrible yeah. like that, but I can run it through a little rougher wood. And if it's dry white pine, I'll put it through that and get my, get my endurance. That's basically that for that event, you know, that's basically the the difference. Chopping is a little different. You do want to practice with, with some harder wood for sure. Um, Like when you go to the Sydney Royal Easter Show as a competition in Sydney, Australia, and it is one of the biggest wood chopping competitions in the world. It's like a 12 day event and it's just chopping and sawing. No, no hot saws. It's just chopping and sawing. And uh, but it's all hardwood over there. So you got to have different axes to cut that hardwood. So even though you got a dozen axes here in the states that cuts off white pine, it's you got to get different axes or ground differently to hold up and cut that wood well and efficiently and people break axe. you know you go over there and you're breaking axes and stuff because it's hard wood and um so yeah, I think i th- I think it's more I think the concern is more on getting the gear that's going to cut that wood. and then of course, you do want to adjust your training if you're going to go cut hardwood for sure. but right. i th- I think it's if you can get kind of a tougher, some tougher wood to train with, that's not so big of a, that's not such a big deal, but a uh, big of a challenge, but I think it's gathering a whole nother set of equipment to cut, cut that wood.
0: Right. It's so fascinating. It's just expensive. Yeah, no, for sure. Like when you have to travel, you have to bring a lot of stuff with you. It's just like, yeah, I, I guess I never realized I just figured that like, you guys would just show up in a truck and get out of yeah. there and start swinging. It's like, there's so much that goes into this.
1: Yeah. Like, Yeah. If you can drive great, but sometimes it's too far, you know, and it's like, so you're going to fly, but then there's challenges to that. And I mean, I don't even try to, I haven't tried to mail a hot saw, but those hot (laughs) saws, I mean, mine's a little cheaper. It's a little smaller, but I mean, still, I got like six grand into this hot saw. I know the the ones that they're running, some of those other guys are running are 10 grand and you got to figure out how to mail that to your competition. You got to empty out the gas and, I don't even. Trust know. It even so you got to piece it, it apart. I mean, right. you can take some of it with you, but I think the motorhead. I think it has to be empty of fuel, and you got to ship it. And there's guys that have done it, and they they don't seem stressed about it. But it sounds that sounds like a nightmare. So a lot of times, <laughs> I'm like this summer, I'm trying to coordinate a saw that I can borrow from somebody because I'm going to be up in Alaska and I'm going to fly down to these two competitions or well three competitions. So I'm going to try to coordinate um, that back here in the states, and I'm going to leave my comp saw my single buck saw like like i'm gonna leave some comp gear here with a buddy who's gonna bring it to the comp and i'll just bring my training gear up there so yeah a lot of logistics where you're trying to like figure out especially if you're gonna be traveling from far away and like he's my friend actually that i'm referring to he's he's going to all sydney australia at the end of this week wow and he uh so he's kind of he has some gear lined up over there some axes that are going to cut that hardwood and he's flying with a single book saw he's going to fly with that i've flown with saws and then those springboards the boards you put into the springboard you got to fly with those because you want those clips are kind of designed a certain way you don't i don't yeah it's a lot it's a lot of stuff axe axes aren't so bad you can what comes the problem is the weight so you can't if you can't drive unfortunately you're probably not just going to you're going to be limited. You got to kind of know, right. You're going to have to leave some stuff behind. If you're going to fly with all your gear, just, it's hard to bring a dozen axes.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. But, okay. uh, man, this has been awesome. And, uh, yeah, man, I
1: appreciate it. It's before
0: been I let you go, let people know your TikTok page, uh, Instagram, if they want to send you messages to check out what you're doing.
1: Yeah. It's the yeah, best man. avenue to do that. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just turbo Tom Lancaster across all platforms. Actually super easy. Um, on Instagram and TikTok, and then it's all, yeah, and then YouTube as well. Yeah, YouTube. They're yeah. all Turbo Tom Lancaster. I guess Facebook is just Thomas Lancaster, but
0: if you, you look do, up the, Turbo you Tom, do, your, you're
1: going to find me on on most platforms.
0: And you do your tubular uh, 10 minute podcast too on YouTube channel, correct? Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm just kind of messing around with that. I, I got a buddy, uh, two friends that I'm doing a podcast with as well. Yeah. And then I was just trying to start that to answer, keep up with some questions. And I kind of liked this format. So, that is actually available on spotify and apple music i'm gonna put it on google podcast as well um so that'll any updates on that is on social media and that is just turbo tom's podcast um i think i'm dropping the totally tubular (laughs) 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 Um, i do want to keep it at 10 minutes just because for one editing and all that stuff it's nice if i can kind of like hop on and answer some questions and and um eventually maybe once i have a little more time do some longer ones but but oh, yeah. yeah so yeah turbo tom's podcast i think all the links i'm gonna try i think you can basically find yeah. it all on my social media but uh yeah turbo tom on on everything
0: it's uh it's cool to see you're a champion of your sport and uh i think if one of these days it's gonna break it's to be awesome when people finally realize how cool what you you guys do so again thank thanks. you for your time
1: thanks man i appreciate you having me and uh yeah best of luck with all you do and yeah I mean, if you have anything you want me to share let me know I'll, I'll share it on my on my stuff for sure awesome Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good one.
0: Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spear Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast. And if you use code Talk 15 you get 15% off your first order or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through nice fucking candles. Nice fucking candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65-hour burn time maybe more if you uh, nurse the flame a little bit maybe I don't know I'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles but I will say these things burn a long fucking time. you ask me about the wick it's a double wick for even burning which is amazing and uh, they come in three incredible flavors. Uh, I'm not sure if you're gonna be eating these candles but if you do like them the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng, tobacco and fireside, and seaside and driftwood. Once again uh nice fucking candles they are the candle company for Spear talk and if you love candles and need a good set to clear out your office your room your podcast room your weight room uh your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap use this candle it's amazing thank you check them out love nice fucking candles